And welcome to the sixth episode of the Two Footed Tucker podcast. I'm your host, Ari Samatakos. And firstly, before we start, thank you all for the support on the last episode. It was greatly appreciated. The feedback was lovely. Um, I really made my day, so thank you very much. Um, also, before we start, make sure to subscribe on YouTube. That's really kicking some steam off you also. If we can get subscribing on YouTube, following on all the socials, TikTok, Instagram, um, Spotify, five-star rating, listening on that, and as well, Apple and Apple and Google Podcasts as well. Now, now we got all that out of the way, the football. Uh, I hope the week treated you all very well. You all deserve it. So the football was interesting this week, wasn't it? Um, like always, we've got some football from Australia to get through. There's some international, some Australian national team stuff and some FFA Cup final stuff, which we'll speak about in depth, and then some A-League stuff as well, just in, just to sprinkle on top. The AFCON final has come and gone. It happened this morning as I record it. Um, yeah, so that tournament is all done and dusted. We have our winner. Um, pretty interesting final, to say the least. Um, FA Cup action, obviously, no Premier League, although th- I say that, there was one Premier League game this weekend. Some of you might have missed that. And I, I won't blame you for if you did because of the nature of it, but there was one Premier League game which we won't really touch on. But there was FA Cup, which we will. Um, and some teams, most of the big boys got through. Um, some left a little bit later than others, but it was all pretty good. Some cup sets as well in there. Um, Frank Lampard's first match is Everton boss, so we'll touch on that. Um, some Syria. There was the Milan derby, which we'll touch on as well. A little bit of French brilliance on the on the AC Milan side. Um, La Liga as well, a big match for, for the top four, big match for the top four battle. The old firm did happen this week, so we'll touch on that. Obviously, who went into footed, which is much uh, which is on a much lighter tone than it was last week and then obviously the preview of the week ahead now let's start with let's start how we always start football down under and we'll start with the the cup final the ffa cup final um finally i can stop talking about it because i don't really like the competition um especially in its in its in its early rounds i feel like it can be a little bit tedious um but towards the towards the latter stages of it it got it got good it got exciting obviously now called the australian cup um it's obviously changed names um so the final fa cup final was a brilliant game it was a tense first half obviously melbourne victory versus central coast it was a tense first half not really a lot of dominance either way victory did have that stranglehold on it but central coast if there was any side that could hold victory for a long period of time and then break on the counter um with efficiency it was central coast so i'm not sure victory fans are sitting too comfortable sitting too comfortable um in the first half the sec in the second half as the as the game obviously progressed things got more open things started to get more um basketball style a bit of Toing and froing either way in terms of momentum. Victory had a penalty which was given and then disallowed, which from my perspective, 
it was a clear penalty. And I know the I know the the talk of why it was disallowed was because of, I think it was D'Agostino um, was ruled to be offside. Now, from my perspective and from what I saw of it, and this is obviously I'm a Vichy supporter, but this is not biased, right? The defender takes control of the ball. So for those who didn't see it, it was like a scramble in the box. A victory player like kind of kicks it forward. And D'Agostino, from the time that the victory player kicks a ball, is in an offside position. That's you can't argue against that. But the defender chests it down and he's going to clear it, right? In my view, taking clear possession of the ball. But as the defender chests it down, he's about to clear it, D'Agostino gets in front of him and the defender just kicks kicks the leg of D'Agostino. That action in itself for me is a clear penalty. You can't just kick someone in the leg. Um, I don't care if it was accident or not. You can't do that. But people are saying that it was a deflection off the defender or it was a... Like the defender didn't take control of the ball, which in my view he clearly did because he chests it down and is ready to kick, to kick it, to clear it. So I don't really understand how that wasn't given. Um, I was a little bit in shock watching that. But it was what it was. Um, obviously, I didn't, that didn't deter victory. That In fact, that probably actually angered them a little bit as not long after Jason Davidson with absolute belter of a free kick. Um, I think we all thought Jake Brimmel was going to hit it, but Jason Davidson far post has changed from the light blue to the pink hair, which I'm not sure you could have downgraded on the light blue, but he's managed to do it. <laughs> but he, he, he hit that sweetly. Uh, I'm not sure I've seen him hit a ball um, better than that. It flew into the top corner and the scenes afterwards in the North Terrace were phenomenal, as they always are. Um, and it was a bit of squeaky bum time from there for victory. It was because of the history of Tony Popovich and cup finals and league finals, no one, no victory fan really felt comfortable um, right up until... Chris Economides chests it down from a lovely ball from Maggiotta and absolutely wallops it into the far corner for 2-0. Game over. Pitch invasion. Massive scenes. Massive limbs. And it was beautiful. Beautiful. It was a beautiful culmination to what has been an absolutely shit 24 months for Victory and Victory supporters. Um, I'm not really sure you could get worse. Obviously, the wooden spoon last year, the season before was abysmal. And it was really good to see Amy Park bouncing again because despite City's brilliance, they don't really... Obviously, there's exceptions to every rule, of course, but City aren't quite there yet where they can get uh, every game pretty much bouncing um, at Amy Park. And then, obviously, Western United don't... It's not their real home, is it? So you can't really judge them on that. Um, but good to see Amy Park bouncing. I think it was 15,000 there, but from I didn't go to the game. I saw there was 15,000 there. For what I heard of it, it sounded more like 25,000, 30,000 um, from people that were at the ground. And it was good to see. Obviously, Oli Bazanic scored in the 97th minute to make a 2-1, which is a bit of a, a bit of a downer. And... And for whatever reason, the referee decided to tease us playing six minutes plus the six he already played, he already had um, scheduled. Um, I think it, it went close to 99 minutes, I'm pretty sure. But um, victory got it done. So 
I haven't stopped gloating. I haven't stopped smiling from that. But it was a, it was a good advert for football. Obviously, it was on free to television, which is a big plus. And it was a really good advert for Australian football and for Australia um, in general in terms of the atmosphere we can bring. Um, really good stuff. Really promising to see. And hopefully, it's not a one-off. Hopefully, that we can get this on a more regular occurrence. Now, moving on, staying in Australia, but moving on to shocking development. Australia, so obviously there was international break last week. Australia, Bebe, now 4-0, which we touched on last week with Palm. What we did mention was the Oman game was going to be happening after we recorded that. Now, Australia 2, Oman 2, basically rules us out of automatic qualification. Um, for us to get auto qualification, we need to beat Japan at home and Saudi Arabia over there, which I'm forever the optimist, optimist but I, for some reason, I just doubt that's going to happen. Um, I can see us winning wide. I can't really see us getting two. I can see us getting four points, six. It's going to be tight. Obviously, six points on the basis that Japan and Saudi Arabia win their other game um, in that in that block of fixtures. It's very upsetting as an Australian football fan to see where this national team is because I'm one of the very few people who thinks this national team is actually very, very talented. I think with the right coach, and I think that's where it comes down to because under the right coach, this national team can go places. Like, can go places. We've got a lot of people playing in Europe. We've got a lot of people doing good stuff. Especially, like, not even in Europe, but in other leagues and even on home soil. We've got a lot of players playing really well. And yet, for whatever reason, we just can't seem to tick. And whenever we come up against a side that's half decent, like, that's half structured, that has some sort of strategy about them, we crumble. Like we're we're all good being flat track bullies against Omar uh, against Vietnam. Like we can beat Vietnam at home, not no problem, right? But as soon as we come up against a team that's half decent, it's we just crumble. And there is no clear plan. There's no clear structure, and there's no chance of us going through if we play like that against Japan and Saudi Arabia because we'll just get bullied, and we'll get our coach will get outsmarted. And despite all the quality we have, it won't be enough if we continue playing this just bland, boring, unimaginative, just stale football. Um, it's disappointing, to say the least, especially considering the 2019 Asian Cup campaign, which was shocking. I mean, as defending champions going out in the unceremonious manner that we did, not good. And... Yeah, it's just really frustrating. I think that's the overriding emotion from most football fans in this country is just frustration because we kind of hit this peak. Obviously, like, the our best campaign in the World Cup was probably, obviously, 2006. 2010 was okay. Obviously, we got unlucky with Germany. Drew to Ghana, who had a really good tournament that year and then beat Serbia. 2014 was my first real World Cup. I was 10. I was 10 years old. So I remember watching the I remember watching each game and I remember the feeling around it. And I mean, we took the lead against Netherlands. Like that's not that's not something to be laughed at, right? Obviously, we didn't get a point, but 
like I feel like we did ourselves pretty we did ourselves proud in that tournament considering the group we had. And then twenty eighteen was started well. I think we played I think we did well against France. I think against Denmark it was an acceptable performance and then Peru we just completely bottled it. Because if we if we beat Peru I, th- I think if we had beaten Peru we would have gone through. Um so and we lost two 0 in very, very just Australian manner. I think if we'd beaten Peru by a certain amount, but qualification to the next round wasn't out of the question. And then I think if we if we go through finish second, we versus Croatia in the next round, and then all right, fine, fair enough, we'll lose to Croatia. But it's it's just frustrating. Like it's just incredibly frustrating because there's no signs of progression. There's no signs of real we're going somewhere and I think it does obviously come from a a higher up level in terms of a federation level and there's so many things wrong with Australian football on a domestic scale and on just a broad administration scale which I could do a whole podcast on it right but you gotta if you're talking about the football because the chairman of the of well, like whatever can't control how we play. You've got to look at the coach and you got to look at the tactics. And obviously, as a victory supporter, I've never been the greatest fan of Graham Hunt, right? But he gets his he, as soon as he's appointed as a national team coach, you give him all the support. You give him your unilateral like partisan support, right? Because he's coaching your nation, right? And I'm again, I've, I'm always an optimist, but I just can't see us going anywhere under him I think there's just something missing from his style of play and from the way he conducts himself I feel like he thinks he's obviously like he's obviously not a bad coach right because he's like he white like he coached pretty much the most dominant side in A-League history apart from Andrew's Brisbane rule right so he's obviously not a bad coach but I don't think he's Australian. I don't think he's soccer is level coach. And our obsession with hiring successes to every role, I think, has hurt us. I think if you look back, probably since I six, you we saw we got Goose and Bank instant success. Our person, obviously, you're like you're not going to get a coach of the caliber as Goose hitting right every time. I get it, but. Someone with that international experience, that like that confidence in himself and in his and and in his abilities, goes a long way. And I don't and someone who's cocky and arrogant, and obviously cocky and arrogant in a good way. I think Graham Arnold exhibits traits of that, but in a bad way. I think he thinks he's too good for the role. You don't want that. You want a coach who says, "I know how good I am. I'm going to take this this side." to wherever I want to take it because I know how good I am. Graham Arnold, for me, says, like, oh, I'm just doing this because I've got it, like, because of X, Y, Z, I don't really care about it. That's what I gather from it anyway. And then from the tactics perspective, just unimaginative. I feel like he, f- I feel like he finally got that midfield three right in the game against Oman. I don't think you can play, obviously, Hurstich wasn't available for the first match, but I don't think you can play Moy Rogic and Hurstich in the same in the same midfield three if we persist with the 4-3-3 I just don't think you can do that 
So playing a Jago or an Irvine, and I think Irvine, Irvine's a one. He's having a very good season for St. Pauli in um in Germany. So I think Irvine's that that player who you use pretty much a lock in the midfield, and then you the, like based off opposition, do you play Rogic, Moy, or Hurstich? Two of the three, in my opinion. But um, yeah, I've rambled about that for a while, but that they're just what I think about it because it's not not good enough and. It's going to take a miracle for Australia to get auto- automatic qualification. And then, obviously, if we don't, reverse at this stage, it's a UAE. I think in a one-match in a one match playoff, or it could be a, a, a two-legged tie. I'm not quite sure. And then I'm near certain we play the fifth team in South America. And at this stage, it's Uruguay. And we've been here before. So... That's going to be interesting. Um, moving on to the A-League, West United with 1-0 win. They're just 1-0 merchants, what can you say? Um, Adelaide lost 2-1 to Sydney. Probably should have got should have got a draw from that game. They had a penalty, which they missed um, in about the 87th minute. And I reckon they had a penalty denied, which was a clear penalty um, in stoppage time. But what can you do? And Wellington too strong for MacArthur with a 3-1 win. Um, Soteria with a with a brace to, to seal that. Now, moving on to the final African Cup of Nations um, chat we'll have because obviously the final has come and gone. Um, before we start, I'd just like to address my predictions. I said, before the tournament started, I said Ghana could be dark horse. They didn't get, they didn't get out of the group stage. And then I also said Ivory Coast could be a dark horse in the knockout rounds. They got knocked down the round 16. So don't listen to me. However, I did say Senegal, Senegal would win. So I, I granted they were the favourites and the favourites for a reason. But I got, at least I got one out of my three predictions, right? Um, there you go. And silver lining, right? But um, yeah, Senegal obviously beat Egypt. It was Mane versus Salah. And both players really couldn't have had opposite games. Um Obviously, it was nil-nil, Senegal on penalties, and Senegal just dominated. They had the, they, on a real superficial level, they have the better players, so you'd think they'd dominate. Um, but yeah, Egypt were just kind of sitting back, and I'm not really sure they played the best that could have played. Salah was really isolated up front by himself. I don't, I wasn't really a fan of the way they set up. I feel like they could could have given him more help. And they did later on in the game once substitutions came on, almost like once they tink, tinkered a little bit with the tactics. He got a little bit more help and got a little bit more into the game. But I think he was doomed to fail from the start. And with um, Senegal's left back, Cease, Cease, I'm going to go with, he was outstanding. I think he was one of the main reasons why Salah really couldn't get into the game. He was up and down all day, strong in a tackle, real, really provided that spark on the left-hand side. And, um, yeah, I don't think Salah had the influence that he could have had or he wanted to have. Um, it was pretty poetic with Mane missing the penalty in the sick, in the like within the first 10 minutes and then scoring the, the winning penalty. Um, it's been a real culmination for for this Senegal team. I'm pretty sure they lost in 2019 in the final um, to Algeria. I'll just look that up just just so I'm right. Um, yeah, they did. They lost in the final 1-0 to um, Mahrez's Algeria. So 
it was a good good redemption story for them, a good culmination of what's a really good group. You've obviously got Mane, Koulibaly, Mendy, um, Ismail Saar, um, Idris Aganagay, all these all these players, right, who are, are playing really well in Europe and I think deserve the international deserve international success. So it was good to say. Um, what does this mean for the Premier League? I don't know why I've written that down on my run sheet, but I think what I was meant to say was, what does that mean for for club football? Obviously, now players will return. Um, Liverpool have survived the the with the no Mane, no Salah um, stretcher games pretty well. I'm not really sure they've been damaged too badly. Um, and obviously Chelsea with Mendy, we've done okay. I feel like we maybe could have gotten a couple more points here and there, but Kepa has really held his own, and we'll speak about Kepa um, later on. But um, yeah, I, I think this maybe could be a little bit of a of a hard reset for some clubs, getting some of their key players back, and um, yeah, seeing where the, the, the respective leagues go from here was going to be pretty interesting. Um, obviously, congratulations to Senegal. Good win for them. Um, they dominated and deserved to win the game, and they didn't, which is good. Always good to see. Now, moving on to English football. Obviously, we said no Premier League. Actually, we will touch on the Premier League just oh so briefly. Um, it was Burnley versus Watford. It ended nil nil, and nothing happened. So, moving on to the FA Cup. Um, Chelsea, Chelsea. And West Ham played on the, the two early kickoffs, and they left it late, didn't they? Uh, I was, I'm actually disgusted that Chelsea did that to me. Um, I was watching. I expected Chelsea with the side that we put out to just stroll past Plymouth, and I'd watch it and see the see the great goals that Lukaku would score. But no, um, no, that didn't happen. Obviously, a former Brisbane Raw player takes. Plymouth into the lead, which, yep, forever the insult. Um, and then it took it took a while, it took, what, the 45th minute or something like that for Aspilicueta to draw us level. And then for whatever reason, Chelsea just could not score. Uh, we had shot after shot after shot, hit the bar about 40 million times. And it just wasn't meant to be up until a bit of Kai Havertz and Timo Werner interlinking play who found Marcus Alonso, who I really think should just start up front for Chelsea because he's forever our greatest, like, attacking threat. Um, who found some space to the box and poked us home. Poked us in the lead, in fact. Um, but it wasn't done there. You'd think, that, you'd think it would be done there, but no, it's a, it's a Chelsea thing. Um, we can see the penalty, a very sloppy penalty to give away. And then Kepa Risa Balaga, which... which Another penalty save. I feel like he's a penalty specialist. Um, he saved our backsides once again. Um, brilliant. <laughs> oh, I was happy, but also really angry that they did that to us. Um, but there you go. And I'm pretty sure West Ham fans can say the same. <laughs> with Kidderminster taking the lead. And we spoke about this with Pom last week. This game just screamed upset for whatever reason it just did. And it nearly happened. Um, I think it was Declan Rice in the 90th minute as well. I'm pretty sure. Um, so obviously, Kedemitz to take the lead um, relatively early on in the match. And then 
Yeah, yeah. So in the night, in sorry, in the twentieth minute, Kidderminster take the lead, and then Declan Rice in the ninety-first minute equalizes, and then Jared Bowen in the hundred and twentieth minute wins it. So they leave it late, don't they? Um, those two sides, and they're through. I'm not really sure they care how they got there, but they're through. And um, yeah, so a team that left it late but didn't go through who I, for some reason, haven't written down on my run sheet, but have just remembered. Manchester United. Um, I I woke up to... And this won't be to the who went into footed because I feel like I should speak about it all in one go. But I woke up on my on a, on a Saturday morning, um, just as you do, and I was just scrolling through Twitter and I saw Anthony Alanga getting all sorts of... Not abuse, but messages. Some in support of him, some making fun of him. And I was like, what's he done? I was like, I was really confused. And then I thought, oh, they play? Did they play this morning? I checked. They did play, and they lost. Um, obviously, United bundled out of the FA Cup to Middlesbrough. Um, a Middlesbrough side with Paddy McNair in playing left side at 10.5, which I find oh so ever ironic. Um, 30 shots to 6, so real domination from United as always, but just can't seem to um, put it away. It was, it went all the way to penalties, and it was a pretty solid penalty shootout. It went all the way up to um, 7-7 before Alanga um, missed the crucial penalty to see them knocked out. Really bizarre. Obviously, Ronaldo as well missed the penalty in, in normal time, which... He scores that, the game's over. But he missed, Alanga missed as well, and nothing seemed to seemed to have gone right for United. Um, really, really bizarre turn of events there because a lot of sides played relatively strong teams. Obviously, United did, Chelsea did, and they could, didn't win convincingly. So I guess that's the magic of the cup really taking its full effect right there. Um but yeah, moving on to teams that did win, um, City won, 4-1, Tottenham won um, against Brighton, which is pretty pretty solid win for them. I think a 3-1 win over Brighton under any circumstance is pretty good. Um, yeah, they played a relatively strong side as well, as, as did Brighton. So good for Tottenham that, and then Liverpool, pretty solid win against Shrewsbury, oh, against Cardiff, sorry, not Shrewsbury, against Cardiff. Um Moving on to the two big cup sets. Um, actually, before we before we do, Lampard's Everton win four one. Everton are going to be my my little like I have a soft spot for them until Frank Lampard inevitably gets a sack. But yeah, I, I want to see Lampard do well and seeing him win four one with a back three against Brentford was good to see. Um, hopefully, that's a sign of things to come and he can really steer them out of this shit show that they're in. Moving on to the cup sets that happened. Um, Bournemouth are knocked out of the FA Cup to Boreham Wood 1-0. Um, I'm not sure too many people had this down for a cup set because no one really pays attention to Bournemouth if we're honest. But um, obviously no disrespect, but they're just a, yeah one of those sides. Um, yeah, Boreham Wood who... 
I'm not really sure have they're not they're, they're obviously not a massive team, but they're still a relatively good team and they're not like a they're not like a team that's fallen down the leagues as as they say. They've kind of middled out uh, in like the national league um league to that type of level and they played a, a good enough game to to upset um Bournemouth who um, I don't know. I feel like if they get promoted, most fans won't want to see them back because of just... Oh, I'm not too sure about that, actually. I, I would quite like to see them back because I feel like they're a good a good asset to the Premier League overnight, like the stadium. Some of their players are pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that's, so that's something to look forward to if they do go up. But it was good to see um, another cup set. And I say another cup set because... Leicester City 1, Nottingham Forest 4, which shocked me more than anything because I thought Forest had their kind of FA Cup final moment against Arsenal, but they just keep they keep on keeping on, aren't they? And they won't say die, put it that way. Um, we'll speak about the Leicester fan who ran onto the pitch and the Leicester fans after in, I think you all know what we're going to speak about in what segment, but... I was just shocked. I wasn't really... I was just like, oh, wow. Um, Forest play a very modern system. Um, put it that way. I feel like they're really embracing... They're really embracing the trends. Obviously playing with that three-at-the-back system. And because of that, they can be very fluid and ten and like sorry, ma- malleable mid-game. They can adapt. They can really... Ch- like change on the fly whereas if you use a more stringent like a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 it's very set to those ways and you can't really um move from that system and that ideology and full credit to steve cooper because he's a manager that's clearly embraced it and has clearly done whatever he's needed to do to really get the best out of that side and it's worked wonders for him so there you go um I think that's enough Premier um, FA Cup talk, I should say. Moving to other European leagues, we'll speak about these relatively briefly. Serie A, Milan derby, Olivier Giroud. Um, we'll briefly touch on this because I want to speak about Giroud for just a little bit. But um, obviously, Inter Milan take the lead and then a brace within a brace in as many minutes for Olivier Giroud sends AC Milan the two one win, which blows the title race title race wide open. Um, yeah, really good to see a real competitive league and towards the real business end of the season will be very interesting to see who gets the chocolates in that. Um, that Napoli are right in there, both Milan teams are right in there. It's going to be good to see. But I want to speak about Giroud for a bit because. For those who didn't see the goals, the first goal was pretty um, poacher-esque. Real, like, anticipation in the box, just a good, clean goal. Whereas the second one was, for, for a player who's been pretty much made fun of for being this lumbering forward, has brilliant feet for that for the second goal. Really takes it in his stride, cuts back, and with a clean finish. But... For for the longest time, I feel like Olivier Giroud has always been touted as a scorer of great goals, not a great goal scorer. But he 
whenever he obviously played for Chelsea and he played for Arsenal, he had that period of time. It'd be harsh to say, but it probably wouldn't be unfair to say that he cost Arsenal the league. I think, obviously, the season that Leicester won it, Arsenal should have won it that year, and the Giroud going on a 15-game goal drought doesn't help that. But he came to Chelsea, and he was always the striker that, whenever he started, I felt confident. I felt confident in him scoring, or I felt confident in him creating something for another person to score. And he was never the most exciting striker. Yes, I would always want Tammy Abraham to start ahead of him, right? But... I just felt this sense of calm whenever he played. And you look at the Euro- the European Cup final, or the Europa League final, I should say, where he really just took the game by the scruff of the neck and won it for us. Obviously, Hazard gets applauded for his two goals and an assist, but Giroud with that goal and an assist and really bullying the Arsenal defence shouldn't go unnoticed because it was we've seen now what Lukaku hasn't done for Chelsea. Do you reckon Giroud could have done more? I reckon he could have. And even if he didn't, he costs one-tenth of the price Lukaku does. So, I feel like a bit more respect to put on Olivier Giroud's name. And he will go down. He will go down. I think history will be very kind to the man. He will go down as one of the best. One of the best French strikers in modern football. Because... I don't. I think. I genuinely think he's that good. Um, obviously, he, he did it for France when Benzema wasn't around. He's a World Cup winner, Europa League winner, could, FA Cup winner. Could be multiple FA, multiple time FA Cup winner. Could be a Serie A winner as well if things fall into place. I just think Olivier Giroud just been that just been disrespected for too long, in my opinion. But um, yeah. Moving on to. La Liga, the big game, obviously Barcelona versus Atletico Madrid, which would normally be a would normally be a match which contests for top four. But oh, sorry, I got distracted. There would normally be a match which contests for the title, but instead is a match contending for top four, and a new look Barcelona team with three new additions, obviously Dani Alves, Adama Traore, and Ferran Torres win 4-1 over Atletico Madrid, which puts them two points clear in fourth. Um, obviously, Adamo and Ferran both with an assist, which is good to see. Good to see new signings really hitting the ground running. Danny Alves having the most Danny Alves match I've ever seen. Scored a goal, got an assist, and got a red card as well. So, good. Love, you love to say that from a, from a returning veteran. And Barcelona really... Really kicking on um, in in season, towards the back end of this season. Obviously, Xavi, it's taken a time for him to acclimatise. It's taken a time for him to really hit his straps. But he's taking this team to a good place. I think I think Barcelona are in good hands, and I think I think I think they'll be I think they'll be fine. I think they'll get top four. I think once they get that financial situation sorted, which will take time. It won't it won't be a smooth process. It'll take time. Um, it'll be it'll, they'll be back, and I think I think Real Madrid will take will take La Liga and will take potentially another Champions League in the meantime. But Barcelona will be back. I don't think there's too much to worry about there. Um, yeah, moving on to 
uh, we'll we'll, t- we'll finish. We'll wrap up the um the review of the week. But the old firm happened. We spoke about this last week with Palm. Obviously, a Rangers fan. He's not happy. I know that for a fact. But as Celtic and Ange Postecoglou win three nil, um, they haven't lost in the league since September, and they're one point clear. So he's really turned this around. From last season, where it was a Rangers, where Rangers did what Celtic, what Celtic did the Rangers for the last decade, and has really turned it around and made this a fight, made this a contest from out of nowhere, which is fantastic to see because you want to see Australians abroad do well. Um, yeah, he's one of our best exports in a long, long time, and obviously as a Greek Australian, it's good to see a former, uh, a fellow Greek, Greek Australian do well as well. Now, moving on to the only segment we have um, on this podcast, who went into footed now, for those who haven't seen it. Um, basically, which player, team, club, same thing, but fans, journo, pundit, whatever, did something daft, did something dumb, just really made a fool out of themselves, and... Now, obviously, last week was a lot was very serious, and I feel like it was an important discussion to have this week. A lot more light, light, um, light-hearted, although with a bit of serious about it. Um, Leicester fan, that Leicester fan, I'm pretty sure it's gone pretty viral now. Running onto the pitch against in their match against Nottingham Forest, and just start to have a punch on with some of the Forest players as they celebrated a goal. I don't, I don't get it. Not only do I not get the fan, I don't get the stadium, like the stewards and the security, because it's gonna, this is going to sound weird. They're lucky that he only decided to start punching on with them. If he had any sort of sharp, sharp object, it could be a pencil, it could be a whatever, damage, like serious damage could have happened. So I say lighthearted, but jeez... They're f- actually lucky that he only decided to punch on with them because not a good set, not a good, um, not a good thing to have happened. And I'm not sure this has gone a little bit less viral, but there's footage of Leicester fans just smashing up a shop in Nottingham. I'm assuming Nottingham City Square or in the Nottingham City, um, just decide like throwing chairs and tables at a cafe. For what reason, I don't know. Apparently, like, there was no... It wasn't... It's, like, far away from the ground. Then there's just families and, like, children sitting in that shop. And these angry Leicester supporters have decided to just piff tables and chairs at at these poor fans, which... Not very nice, is it? <laughs> um, yeah, it's not. Not a good look. Just don't do that. Don't be, don't, don't be an idiot. Um, and, obviously, that person who... Did rush the pitch, lifetime ban from not only that stadium, but from all stadiums. Piss off. No one wants you supporting football. Um, yeah, so that's done with the retrospective stuff. Looking ahead, as we wrap up this podcast, looking ahead to the week's football ahead. The Premier League is back. It's back midweek, going all the way through to the weekend, which is good. Um um, Italy versus Italy. Inter Milan. Okay, well, it is in Italy. Inter Milan versus Napoli for this. I've written here for the Serie A title. Um, it's not quite that, but 
it's a match which will determine a lot in the in the Syria um, title race. Obviously, Napoli, Inter Milan, AC Milan, all pretty much within two points of each other. I'm pretty sure. So um, that's going to be a very interesting match. And Chelsea in the Club World Cup. That's the one tournament that's escaped us. And I'm one of the very few people that actually hold weight to that tournament. A lot of people don't really care for it. But, like, the Club World Cup is literally determining who the best team in the world is. Like, that's literally what it's for. So I'm not really sure why people are snaring at it and snarling at it. But it is what it is. I'm not really sure. Yeah. I don't don't know why people overlook it. It's another trophy at the end of the day. Yeah. I think it's coming from a little bit of jealousy that... I think it stems from from when Liverpool um, had their... Well, Liverpool had to play two games in 24 hours and then people like, oh, why are they taking the Club World Cup so seriously? When it's literally a tournament to say who's the best team in the world. Oh, we'll take it seriously as well. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it for the week's football ahead. Um, yeah, stay well, stay safe, everyone. I hope the week's football treats you well um yeah um subscribe on on the youtube follow on follow on all the socials tiktok instagram i really want to get those up and running and kicking on now so any engagement would be majorly appreciated um yeah stay well stay safe hopes the week's football treat you well and see you guys soon see ya bye